bleed green? Are you an ultimate Eagles football fan? Well, you're in the right place. Well, you're in the right place. This is Birds 365. Hosted by the new Mac and Mac, Jody McDonald and John McMullen. Here we go, here we go! Who collectively have covered and talked about more than 50-plus years of Eagles football. Kick off your day with Birds 365. You'll get debate. We love to argue. You'll get the real story from inside the locker room. And you'll hear from some of the great football minds from around the region. You're about to become an Eagles insider. Get in the game. Join Jody Mack and Johnny Mack and join the football community that flocks to Birds 365. Birds 365 starts right now. Welcome to the NFL. Let's go! Let's go! Go! And a good faux football Friday, Birds fans. You got Mac and Mac, John McMullen, Jody McDonald here to hang with you for the next two hours and talk football, mostly Eagles football, but we will talk about the NFL draft, which means there's going to be 31 other teams the Eagles will be competing against. You know the competition didn't end well with the last game of the season for the Eagles against the Bucs, but competition begins again when the NFL draft free agency first, but uh, we're going to have an NFL Spin on today's show because we've got one of our favorite NFL draft analysts uh, joining us. And, yes, the Philadelphia Eagles uh, should be a good one. Thank you very much for streaming. And, Johnny Mac, i got to show you this first before we start the show. I found this today. Oh, Speed Racer. Nice. Nice. It was in the pile of T-shirts. And I haven't worn this in, I don't know, for how long. Maybe even years. Um and it just uh, jumped. I said, oh, man, I got to watch this. I don't know about you. When you were a kid, and for you and I, that was both a while ago. Um, <laughs> everyone is asked the question some point, maybe in a class somewhere, just shooting the breeze with your friends. What do you want to be when you grow up? And most kids say a doctor or an NBA player. Astronaut. Throw Astronaut. Good yeah. one. Cop. Fireman. Yeah. I had one kid in my class. God, I loved him. Um, he wanted to be a hobo. He wanted to... <laughs> I hope I hope his dream didn't come true. I don't I hope. know if it did or did. I lost that. But he wanted to ride the rails and eat baked beans over ride, an ride open fire somewhere. Uh, but this sounds, was... sounds romantic. Yeah, riding the rails. This was... as... Go ahead. Sorry. This was numero uno for me. I wanted to be speed racer in the worst way. And I clung to it for a good couple of years before I think I'd trans... Uh, for to being an NBA player, yeah, that had a chance. I had just a good chance of being a uh, speed racer as I did an NBA player. But uh, you, you have those dreams when you're a kid. But always a speed. So I saw this T-shirt a couple of years ago. Damn, I got to get that. That's a good picture. And I wanted to be speed racer. I ended up doing Birds 365 with John McMullen. A little bit of a come down. No, I'm only not because of John. Come down because of uh, yours that's truly. Fair. Feel free. That's a that's a. What did you want to be when you were a kid? What was your number? Oh, if I you know. can remember back that far, first thing John McMullen asked at age seven or eight said, "I want to be 
That's a good question. I don't remember latching on to something. I, I thought you were going cartoons. I was a Looney Tunes guy, so I was yeah. a I was you a wanted, Bugs Bunny guy. But Bugs Bugs is BFF. But but even today, I still love Looney Tunes. But I I've shifted more towards Spockhorn Leghorn as my my favorite cartoon character ever. I just He's think it's good. hilarious. Um, so I don't know, but he didn't really have a job. So I guess, I don't know, chicken hawk? Uh, I don't know. There you go. You could have made a hell of a chicken hawk. Uh, so you got Mac and Mac, the uh, speed racer wannabe here, talking football with you. Take it with the grain of salt that it's deserved. Um, we do have Ian Cummings joining us coming up in now less than 15 Ian minutes. Cummings season. Yes, I love it. I love it. I love Ian. He's tremendous. Hey. Good guy, knows his stuff inside and out, does a ton of film work, and his prep for the draft is absolutely anybody, which means it's a busy week for him next week because he'll be adding data points to his research for the NFL draft with all the players showing up in Indianapolis for the Combine. Um, we know that the Eagles, we still don't even know when he got. Do you even know, do they have a date on the NFL calendar as to when they announce the compensatory picks for this year's draft? No, there's no official date. Last year was March 9th, I believe. So, you know, you, you, you just go we're by sneaking up. We're sneaking up on it is what you're telling yeah. me. Yeah. It'll be done uh, early March. I would, I would say right before the league year, um, somewhere in that range. Uh, it should come out at that point. So everything should be locked down. Right, because as of now, we don't know what compensatory picks the Eagles are getting. There are some outlets that are uh, have done the math homework. There is a uh, mathematical theorem that they use to figure it out. It goes way to hell over my head. I can't understand it. Um, but there, there are some outlets. I gave you a couple the other day, uh, Tankathon being one of them, that have already locked in and speculated where the Eagle picks are going to be. Well, we know that they're going to have three picks in the first two rounds. They don't have their own third-round pick, but most people expect them to get a compensatory pick at the end of the third round for the Javon Hargrave free agency loss. So the Eagles are picking at 22, 50, 53, and if the speculation is right on the compensatory pick, 97. Just overall, John, that's not bad. No, solid no. position to be in. It's an end of the third round pick because that's where they put the compensatories at the end of the round and still call them that round. You could say oh, it's an early fourth round pick or it's a late third round pick between the third and the fourth round pick. But to have four picks in the top three rounds is not a bad place for the Eagles to be in this year, right? No, very good place. The problem is they got to find uh, contributors. That's yeah, you got to do something with it. And it's uh, easier said than done, uh, as we saw last year. You know, uh, top 10, you got to get a contributor. And the Eagles were able to get it last year. They had two uh, first round picks, obviously. Um, 30th pick, not so much. So, um, and then as you go down, it becomes more and more difficult. But if you look at a team like Detroit, who's finding not only people in the first round, but you're getting Sam Laporta, uh, 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 Brian Branch. Uh, the, those are big-time players in the second round. Um, that's what you want, but that's not easy easy to do. Let's put it that way. So uh, <clears throat> this is we, – we, we... – we did. I didn't create this. I don't even know who did. I wish I did. I'd give him credit for it. Um, but the phrase Howie season, um, 
it is how he sees it. This is the general manager's ballywick. This is what he's supposed to retool the roster with. Free agency does come first, and now he's got work to do there, but the NFL draft does as well. And in case you're just uh, coming back to the show, you took a break from the end of the season uh, after the Eagles got beat by Tampa, John and I conceptually disagree with what the Eagles can and will and should do with their first-round draft pick. Um, John thinks there's a very good chance that they will draft an offensive lineman, specifically a tackle, specifically because Lane Johnson's got a little long in the tooth. And uh, I, I don't disagree with that, but as far as I know, we're not waiting for Lane Johnson to decide whether he's going to play this upcoming season or not. We're all very much assuming that's the case. And when you have one first-round draft pick, I'm not saying they have to pick for need. If the Eagles only had one glaring need on the team, and it was uh, off-ball linebacker, and uh, everything else was pretty darn good, if not outstanding, I would not say you have to draft an off-ball linebacker because you need an off-ball linebacker. That's usually how you make mistakes. Here's the deal, folks. Eagles got a couple of holes. Eagles have places they could absolutely use to fill their starting position, not backup, not grooming, starting position, cornerback, potentially, linebacker, and safety. I think they're good with any of those spots uh, to pull in someone drafted number 22 and expect them to start. I, If you're going offensive line, Johnny Mack, I'm going interior. Because we're all exposed. Well, here's the, here's the part you left out, Jody. The, the, the reason is not, I'm saying, well, there's two reasons. One, the Eagles tend to default to the offensive or defensive line when things are even in their valuation, as uh, how he explained when he drafted Cam Jurgens. Look, if we have two players even on the board, we're going to take the linemen. That's just how they do business. So that's uh, number one. Number two, there's so many tackles um, at the top of the draft board. And I was uh, Daniel Jeremiah did his conference call yesterday, his pre-combined conference call, talking about the depth of that particular position. Um, you're going to have a really good player pushed down the board. Whereas at corner, it's not that I don't think they need a corner. They need a corner. Um but there's four guys you're talking about. And one of them's not going to be in, in the conversation. And that's the kid from Alabama, Terry and Arnold. He's going to go way, you know, way before the Eagles pick. Now, Daniel thinks Quinion Mitchell did enough at the senior ball. And there's a long time to go. There's a lot of hurdles, but he thinks he's out of the conversation and he's going to go earlier. So then you start talking about, Really, two guys. Yeah, Enos Rackestraw is a, a Missouri corner, um, very good player. That's who Daniel had the Eagles pick in, in his latest, <clears throat> excuse me, mock draft. And Nate Wiggins, who's a cornerback from Clemson. And that's it. You know, there's people say Cooper Dijon is, could throw in the mix because he plays corner, but he's more of a corner safety, and they need a real outside corner. Not a versatile guy. I I prefer the versatile guy. I prefer the guy you can move all over. But as we know, that's the Eagles really with their defensive scheme don't use those type of players. So, you know, could 
could Big Fangio evolve away from some of the stuff? Of course, he's done it in the past. He can do it again, but I'm playing the odds here. So on the other hand, the tackles, I I, I mean, there's it, it, Joe Alt is the cleanest prospect for pretty much everyone. Doesn't guarantee he's going to go number, but he's going to go pretty high. His father played in the league. He got the genetics as well. Then he got Fuwaga from Oregon State, and 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 Ian will be able to tell you more about these players. The kid from Penn State, you got Latham from Alabama, you got Fontano from Washington, you got Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma, and here's who I'm scared to be honest: Amarius Mims from Georgia. All these names, all those names I gave you: one, two, three, four, five, six, seven names should go before the Eagles pick a 22. That's how good and talented they are. But they're not. All seven of them are not going to go because there are going to be teams reaching for other positions. Certainly, they're going to reach for quarterbacks. We know that. Um, and, and, And wide receivers, it's a very deep wide receiver draft as well. There's a lot of good receivers. Those guys are going to get pushed down. The corners are probably going to get pushed up. And if you stay and put at 22, that to me, if you're playing the, again, I'm playing the odds, that to me is the most likely scenario. That doesn't mean that's what I do. doesn't mean that's how we might trade up. How we might say, I got to have Quinion Mitchell, but I can't get him at 22. So I got to go up and get him. He may very well do that. But if you're forced to stay at 22, I guarantee you, you're going to get a player at offensive tackle that is better than the spot and the Eagles are better uh, are big on valuation and all that kind of stuff. So that's my thought process. And I have no general problems with the Eagle stance that you got to have a commitment. You got to have an overall team philosophy and you need it to be your guideline and, and your base, but it doesn't mean you have to do so to an above the, 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 the level of commitment. And I think at times they get to that. And the most recent example of that was Andre Dillard. They thought that the valuation of Andre Dillard was so good. They couldn't pass on him. They had to have him. They had to go get him. Would their valuation prove? He's not a starting tackle in this league. So you can have your valuation. You can have your commitment to the trenches. I think generally it's a very good philosophy. You can't just... uh, uh, be a slave to it year in and year out. And when you've got uh, Jordan Mylotta and Lane Johnson, and I don't know, maybe Lane's got one more year. Maybe he's got two. Maybe he's got three. I'm not taking a tackle that I'm going to sit on the bench if both of my two tackles stay healthy. And cross your fingers that they do for the next three years. That's what I, that's what they did. They did they did it with Andre Dillon. They stopped. They waited. They Jordan Mailata went by him in practice. All of a sudden, the guy uh, gave you absolutely nothing for a first-round draft pick. And you I think can always, in that you, type you of can position. always pick out outliers, and because every it's team not an this. outlier, John, it just happened two years ago. No, it's a, it, it, I'm talking about when you talk about your philosophy and you talk about how you build a roster. I think over the long term, the Eagles have proven their way is better than most. Doesn't not all, but better than most. Um, because you miss on a particular player in the NFL draft, you're not going to scrap that philosophy. 
they would have done that with Jalen Rager as well, even more so. They made a mistake with him. Make mistakes all the time. What I'm saying is you can pick players from any team. They've all missed on, on first-round picks, every single one of them, 32 for 32. So you can't sit there and focus, oh, we drafted Andre Dillard. They made a mistake with Andre Dillard. They did, and their mistake with Andre Dillard is they didn't do the homework on him. They thought he'd be gone top 10, 11, 12, somewhere near that range and said, well, we have no shot at Andre Dillard. So they didn't do the typical homework. That would be like a Balt fell this year. They're not going to do a lot of homework on Alt because they know he's going to be gone. Um, maybe they learned something from that, and maybe they will do a little bit more. Uh, different player, uh, you know, as I mentioned, uh, clean prospect, but um, just using it as an example, you can't say, oh, I took a tackle and Andre Dillard didn't work out, so the best player on my board I'm not going to take because of Andre Dillard. You can't do that. You can't. That's disaster waiting to happen. Um, you know, Brian Bellick is the first one who said it to me, so I always give him credit. He's hardly the first to say it, though. But it's a great line, and it's true, and it's 100% true. Need is the worst talent evaluator in sports. When you start drafting for need, because you need you, you need, and I always bring up my Adrian Peterson story, where the Vikings got one right. And I said to him, and I asked the question, because they had, at the time, they had Chester Taylor, who had a very good season on a bad team. He had a 1,200-yard season. He caught the football. It's a pretty darn good little back, but he was Chester Taylor. And I, I said, well, you got a, a, a back. You got a pretty good back. You got a lot of needs. And, and I got that quote from the personnel guy, which is one of the great quotes of all time. Fuck uh, Chester Taylor. This guy's different. Uh, and, and, and they picked him, and they made the right decision. Um, and that's what Brian said to me. And Brian wasn't the one who said that, but he said, need, and we'll talk to Ian about this, need is the worst talent evaluator in sports. Well, here's the good news, bad news, Eagle fans. The Eagles need a lot. So it won't be one particular need. You're not trying to thread the needle into the one position you have to have. Yeah, that's how you make mistakes. That's how you screw things up. That's not this year's Eagles. And as far as Eagles philosophy, I told you, I agree with the Eagles philosophy. If they say trenches, 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 I'm not going to argue with that. That's pretty damn smart. But you have to be able to fit it to the individual year and the individual situation. You can't just make a blanket statement of we're going to draft in the trenches come hell or high water. The highest draft, the highest left guy on our board for valuation purposes who plays in the trenches, we're taking him because that's the Eagle way. That's dumb is what that is. And I hope the Eagles don't subscribe to that philosophy this year, specifically at the tackle position. Now, one of the questions I'm going to ask Ian Cunningham, Ian Cummings, when we punch him up here in a second, is there a guard worth taking? If they take a guard, if you believe that Kelsey's retiring and they're going to move their uh, starting left guard, right guard, no, back not, to I center. Would, I, I would, I would yeah, it's not going to happen. That's a different valuation. It, it is. I understand. But every once in a while, maybe. And we'll find out for me and if there is a guard that's worthy of 22. Uh, deal break? Yeah, probably not. Uh, Ian Cummings from uh, Pro Football Network going to talk NFL draft with it. He's up next here on Birds 365. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. 
Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank. Hi everybody, my name is Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech we offer three major services. The first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. Stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV. Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. And the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. With the combine coming up next week. We turn our attentions to the draft, and we turn our attention to the draft. We put a call out to our guy, Ian Cummings, from ProFootballNetwork.com. We like to say around here it's Howie season when the season becomes about player evaluation and roster building. It's Ian Cummings season, too, because the combine coming up next week, uh, you've been putting in hours and hours and hours of film work and going to all-star games and the like. Is the combine more of a... Let me cement my opinions. Is it still more of a fact-finding mission? How do you, as a talent evaluator for the draft, look at the combine? Yeah, first off, great to be back with you guys here. For the combine, I think it's more of a cross-checking exercise, right? You know, usually when you watch the tape, you're not very surprised with the results that come on. You know, more athletic guys are going to look more athletic on tape. I think usually there is a positive correlation with that. So really the combine for me is cross-checking and, you know, making sure guys test what they're expected to. If they run a little bit faster 
now you go back to the tape and it's like, all right, is that a technique issue where he's not gleaning that speed on tape? Is there something you can do to maximize that functional athleticism? Or if he runs a little bit slower, it's his game pace faster than his testing pace, right? So it's all about cross-checking and finding true north, right? It's not something where my rankings are going to be too elastic. I'm largely set by the film grade, but I think the combine testing portion is really good for just cross-checking and kind of settling things. And then for the field positional drills too, just seeing how guys move in space in person, right? Getting a feel for that too. I think it's more for just kind of covering all your bases. Ian, uh, good to see you. Excited. Ian, coming season here. One of the best uh, draft guys in the business. Appreciate you. So I wanted to say that right off the bat. But uh, I always ask to start, number one, I want to know deepest positions and from your perspective. And also that, that shelf, when you have the blue chippers, and then it drops off a little bit. Where do you have that this year uh, amongst the top players? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's definitely a little bit deeper, uh, the shelf-wise. I think last year, blue chip players, there was maybe four or five for me, and then it dropped off a little bit. This year, I think you're getting close to a dozen blue chip guys. So it's a nice. fun class. And then even after that, too, you have a lot of guys who are kind of in that 8.5 to 8.99 range for me, which is still an impact player, right? So I think it's largely, it's a lot deeper at the top end, right? You know, there's a little bit of a drop off kind of in the mid to late day two range, but there's still a lot of depth there too. And then we see in the day three range, a little bit of a drop off as well. But I think if you need top end talent this year, a lot of blue chip guys and a lot of impact players too. So I think there's a lot of depth there. Deepest position, there are a few in contention for me. Wide receiver is probably the top one though. I think wide receiver, the depth all through the class, a lot of variance in the profiles that you have. I would say cornerback is another one too. And I, I know that's a good- Cornerback. Whoa, Johnny Mac for... just told me cornerback. You got two guys. Who are no, no. The top twenty-two I, picks. Now I, I, really I said like two, two, uh, two are going to be gone. I said, which is Arnold and and Quinn uh, Mitchell from Toledo. We're talking to the Eagles twenty-two. Then you're going to have guys like Rakestraw. Rakestraw is that how you pronounce his name? Rakestraw. Rakestraw. Yeah. Rakestraw. Yeah. Um, you have uh, the kid from Iowa. And you have uh, uh, Wiggins, uh, who might – those guys, if you're sticking at 22, they might be there. They might not be there. But uh, we were talking about tackles. You got that top – there's like eight tackles. They're freaking going to be right – it's unbelievable how many – so who do you have number one? Uh, Most people, because he's the safest pick probably, is Alt. But all those guys, and even down to Amarius Mims from Georgia, to me, he's the most talented, but he's barely played. He scares me. That's what I'm concerned with because I think he's, what, started eight games uh, total in his Mm -hmm. career. Eagles are known to go with Georgia players recently. He scares me a little bit just because, but he might have the biggest upside. There's so many tackles in that range you're almost going to get, have to get value at the position. That's my argument. Yeah, the tackle class is really strong at the top. I think, you know, it's weird. I don't think upside is a is a, is a a major separator for a lot of these guys because Joe Alt often gets billed as the higher floor player, but I think he's a very, very good functional athlete with really good flexibility and recovery capacity, and I think that's one of his central traits. So for me, it's not really a, an upside separator because all of these guys are so talented. You look at Olu Fashanu, right? The athleticism with him, the explosiveness, the recovery capacity, right? The ability to stay square and play synergetic. 
Uh, it's Taliesa Puaga from Oregon State. That dude is explosive attacking in space. Absolute mauler. J.C. Latham, who I think is pretty athletic for his size, too. A little bit more, uh, you know, blocky, a little bit clunkier than some of these guys, but still very powerful, very explosive, moving vertically off the line. And then Amarius Mims, you mentioned it. I think for Mims, the thing that gives me solace with him is that in such a small sample size, he has shown that he can play the left and the right side. He can switch around a little bit. And I think some of the bedrock building blocks for an offensive tackle, you talk about, getting balance off the snap, getting depth out of your kick, right? Maintaining, acquiring and maintaining leverage and pad level. I think those things are actually pretty strong for such a young player. I think he's very good at acquiring leverage, maintaining balance, staying square, placing his punches. I think there is room to improve his hand usage, right? And kind of combative independence after his initial extensions. But I think from what we've seen, I think the biggest question for me is probably the durability because he missed some time with the ankle injury. And there were a few games this past year where he, had to leave for a little bit. He got banged up, came back in. So I want to see if he can play consistently 17-game season. But um, I think the talent is absolutely very, very compelling at the top of the board. And then you got guys like Tyler Guyton from Oklahoma as well, which flexibility, leverage acquisition, those are some very strong points for him too. So for the Eagles in particular, if you're thinking about a future-minded right tackle pick, we know it's the kind of pick they like to make, and I think there's some candidates for them. All right. Uh, we know – I see I've got your uh, mock, latest mock draft in front of me, which – Everybody loves a mock draft. Everybody wants a mock draft. Everybody wants you to affix a guy to a team. All it takes is one major deal that you didn't see coming, and then the dominoes start to fall. and throws your mock draft right out the window. Uh, so I'm going to cut you a ton of slack for that. Not even going to begin to question you. But you have your individual rankings. Player rankings, not uh, as per position, not tied to a team, or not anything else. How many tackles do you have in the top 22? In the top 22, I know I have Alt, Fashanu, Fuaga, Mims, and Latham. I all think in Guyton, the top 22. Those are all in the top 22. Yeah, and then Guyton, right. Guyton they, you've got five tackles in the top 22. <laughs> there should That's... be eight if you just went by top, you know, top prospects available. I I think there are a lot. There you know, be eight, it, but there won't 22. be. That's my whole point. That's why I asked yeah. him because I wanted his ranking. You got eight in your yeah. top 22, John. Yeah, it just okay. as overall prospects, not right. they're, That's they're what going I in the top. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I mean, there's so many; it's it's absurd. Um, yeah. and and but we know people are going to get pushed up the board at other positions, most notably. And people like to talk about quarterbacks. Obviously, the Eagles aren't going to go with quarterback or early in the draft. But you know, one guy that I put in that category is JJ McCarthy, who is an interesting. Obviously, you know the top three guys are going. They might go one, two, three. Um, but J.J. McCarthy, I mean, it scares me. On on the other hand, I shouldn't blame it on him. It's just the way Michigan played. They were very successful. They won a national championship. But he didn't ask him to do anything. So, to me, he's a complete projection almost at the NFL level. Obviously, he's got a lot of talent. But... How much does that hurt your uh, evaluation or how much more difficult does it make your evaluation of a player like J.J. McCarthy, who I think you had going fifth, if, if I recall, yeah. at one point? Um, I would be scared to take him at fifth. I believe – I think you had him going – you had Quasi trading up for him. I believe that because he makes a lot of bad <laughs> decisions. But, um, yeah, I mean, that guy I, – I don't know. I'm 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 a little frightened. It's not his fault, but I'm a little frightened by the evaluation. 
Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. And I think for me, there's always a few select principles that elevate, kind of, you know, magnify QB's stock, right? If he's young, if he's talented, if he's a winner, right? You know, you hear those cliches, but they do tend to move guys off the board, right? And you look at JJ McCarthy, he is still just 21 years old. He is very talented. He's got a very loose, elastic arm. He is very athletic, right? So to your point, I completely agree with you. I think the reservations are there because I think I really wanted to see him improve his poise in the pocket his independent processing, his DB manipulation, right? All of those things in the multitasking with the pocket movement and the field processing and manipulation. And we saw good flashes of it early in the year. But like you said, you know, a lot of people made the same observation in those games down the stretch, those really high profile consequential games. They didn't ask him to do much. They didn't put a ton on his back. He wasn't often asked to elevate that offense. So now you wonder, we're taking this guy with top five capital. Can he elevate the offense when we need him to at the NFL level? That's still a question that we've left unanswered. So I think for NFL teams, it's really going to come down to getting with him one-on-one -on -one in the interview room and figuring out this guy. Is he the character fit that we want? Does he have the mental acuity to sustain growth at the NFL level and build off this physical foundation? Because the foundation is absolutely there, right? So I think for NFL teams, scarcity is such an accelerant to supply and demand, simple economics. Yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, it happens every year. Yeah. We see guys after that drop-off, you know, if you're confident in this player's potential, he is still 21 years old. He does have the physical tools to be an impact starter. If all it takes is the character to kind of solidify that and say, we're, we're willing to invest in this player. And for Minnesota in particular, they have a good offensive line. They have good weapons, right? I think the coaching staff is there to insulate his growth as well. So you ask yourself, do we have the pieces in place to get him to where he can be? And then it becomes an issue of, yes, we're willing to take that. It's a risk. And it's not a risk that I'm 100% sure I would take personally, especially moving up to get him. But he's young, he's talented. Those things are always accelerants. And when you said he's just 21, my first mental response was, yeah, they're all just 21. What the hell are you talking about? Now there's and a lot of older prospects. Michael yeah, Penix, yeah, yeah. not yeah. 21. Bo Nix, yeah. not yeah. 21. And those are the guys he's going to be compared against. So you're right to say just 21. All right, I'm going back to your list again. Power ranking, not positional, not need, not a draft mock. Just ranking of the players. What's the first guard you got on your list? The first, okay, well, there's the caveat here. The first player who can play guard is Jackson Powers Johnson. He's in my top 20, but I would prefer to keep him at center just because he's he already has very good tape at center. Uh, he dominated the senior bowl, but his final year too, I mean, he won the Remington Award in every week. High IQ, high talent, physicality. Uh, so he's my top player who can play guard. My top player who I have listed at guard is Graham Barton. Now, he's in my early 30s range. I, I would I would prefer to play him at guard, but he can play tackle, center, the whole works. And my top pure guard is Christian Haynes, who's just a little bit behind Barton. Christian Haynes from UConn, another very explosive, tenacious player with the finishing torque. So in this class, you have a lot of varying molds. You have guys who could project there, and you have a few guys who have played there succinctly and will play there. We know that. But I think the moving parts, it will complicate it a little bit. But for the Eagles in particular, I think that's kind of what you're looking at. If JPJ is there and you want to play him at guard, that's a possibility. But for me, I look at those two second round picks that you have in Philadelphia. I would much rather play that value proposition and try and get a guy like Christian Haynes or maybe Cooper Beebe. Um, Daniel Jeremiah, let's go back to corners because Jody brought that up before, but he had his con pre-combine conference call yesterday. He mentioned he had about 14, I, I think he said 14, 15 corners um, with at least uh, day two grades, which is pretty deep, as you mentioned. But he also said after that top group, it's mainly inside guys, mainly slot guys. Do you see it the same way? Um, 
and those guys are valuable, and the Eagles could use a slot corner because Avante Maddox has had um, significant injury issues over the past couple seasons, but it's not somebody you want to take at the top of the draft, an inside corner. So do you see anybody – how deep do you see the outside corners? I think that's the key. I do agree. I think the depth drops off a little bit with the outside corner class after that top 15. I still think there are options in the later rounds. I'll throw out a couple. Jarius Monroe from Tulane is one that I like a lot, 6'2", 205. Very explosive, competitive, had a great Shrine Bowl, and he can play safety too. They've been projecting him there. What uh, round do you think he's going to go in? Because he's yeah. I, I got him written down here as one of the guys I was going to specifically ask you about, and you jumped the, uh, to him immediately. Thank you for that. What round do you think he goes? It's tough because he was an NFL Combine snub. I, I expected him to be invited to the Combine, and that was kind of a surprising development. But I think, you know, he's going to have a pro day. He's going to test. I expect him to test well. My gut feeling would probably be round six, round five, maybe round five, but I think five to seven. I think good players fall sometimes, and with the, without the NFL Combine invite, um, that may be kind of a reflection of where they feel he's placed. But I think he's undervalued. I think he'll be oh, – wow. we saw we saw last year, like, guys that I liked a lot, Corey Trice went to Pittsburgh in round seven. Jalen Jones went to Indianapolis in round seven and ended up actually starting a few games in his rookie season playing well. Carrington Valentine went to the Packers in round seven and I think started half the year and actually played pretty well uh, for a rookie. So I think good players fall. So it's kind of an inexact science, but I think round five to seven is right out. Thank you. Uh, edge rusher. That's another uh, potential spot. The Eagles are going through some things contract-wise with Hassan Reddick and they don't have enough depth even if Reddick comes back. Um, how deep is that group? And if you start looking... I guess Dallas Turner, Jared Verse would be at the top. It's tough to imagine them dropping to the 22 area. Um, anybody in that range, Eagles fans should keep an eye on. Yeah, if you want an edge of 22, yeah, I don't. I'm not confident Dallas Turner falls that far. I think there's there's some variance across the consensus where he's ranked. He's my edge one personally, but I think the upside is is is. Uh, superlative with him you know you're not getting a ceiling like that but uh Layatu Latu if he's there is one that I would circle I think him you know his pass rush bag you know his arsenal of moves is so deep and so complex and then at 6'5 260 he's got very good bend capacity too so he can use that to finish reps while winning hand battles so I like his pass rush upside a lot so if he's there 22 could be an option for them I think it's definitely pretty well stocked at the top of the board, but I think especially for the Eagles, right? Hassan Reddick, if he leaves, you're probably looking for a speed rusher to replace him, right? So I think getting guys who you know have some of that speed and bend, maybe a little undersized, but can still run the arc and stress angles against offensive tackles. A few guys within that mold that I look at, and these these are kind of day two, day three guys. But Jonah Ellis from Utah was a very productive pass rusher at the collegiate level this past year. I think he had 12, 16 sack, 12 sacks and 16 TFLs, I think. But, you know, 6'2", 250, really good proportional length, really good bag of moves. And he's explosive, bendy, twitchy. Javon Solomon, who played at the Senior Bowl and had some nice reps, 6'1", around 250. But he's got 34-inch arms, so he's well-leveraged. He's got great proportional length, can get inside your frame, drive power, but also run the arc. And then Mohamed Kamara is an absolute technician who's kind of within that similar mold, too. He's probably a mid-to-late day three guy. But I think for the Eagles, if you're looking for a speed, bend rusher, a pass rush specialist, um, there are some options for you kind of in that value range. All right. Uh, and, oh, by the way, Jared Verse, Albany, great team, tough. 
That's why I'm opening it. <laughs> Former alma mater, uh, before he said, yeah, I can play on a higher level. Let's let me go to Florida State rather than little old Albany. But I'll be rooting for the kid on draft night. Um, safeties. Again, targeting first round and or second round. Eagles have two picks in the second round. Is this a good safety draft? If they don't take one in the first, first of all, is there one worthy going of 22? And if not, in that second round, is that a position where maybe a, a pretty good safety, a safety who can step in and play year one, gets pushed down to the board to late in the second round where the Eagles pick? Yeah, I would say there's one who's worthy of going to round one at 22, but it's a caveat because he played corner in the in the in college football. Cooper DeJean from Iowa. Cooper, you know, I, yeah. I, I think he projects very well for safety. I think you could keep him at corner in a in a cover three scheme where he's asked to play more side saddle, right? Playing with his eyes to the ball. But I think it's safety because he's 6'1, 209. He's already got a safety frame and watching him play in support. He's very physical, very good at combating and deconstructing blocks. And then in coverage, right? I mean, this dude is such a good processor, so instinctive, such a high IQ football player with that route recognition, the closing speed, the ball skills. I think you can play him in a number of different spots. And that's why in a Vic Fangio defense, it'd be so fun to watch him play because he's aggressive. He flies to the ball. He's explosive, rangy. Um, and, you know, he's got the football IQ and the eyes to play all across the line. So I'm a big fan of him. I think for the Eagles, if you have a need at CB and safety, he can kind of blend the line between that. But if you pass on him in round one, you know, if you decide to trade back, Tyler Newbin from Minnesota is a guy that's in my top 30. So I think he's a very solid football player. Doesn't quite have the center field or range, but, you know, in too high, he can play single high because he is so, so instinctive. And then he's 6'2", 205, so really good support presence, very good ball skills. My sweet spot for the Eagles is, again, that 50-53 range with those two second-round picks. I think there's a good chance that you could get one of Bo Braid or Cameron Kinchin. Bo Braid from Maryland, Cameron Kinchin's from Miami. They're different stylistic players. Kinchin is definitely that center fielder, right? 5'11", 208, but he has that range. He has sideline to sideline speed. Uh, he's very good at undercutting passes. He's got the vision to make plays on the ball, and he's pretty good in support, too. I think with him, there are some lapses in coverage sometimes where his vision will get a little bit tied up. Sometimes he doesn't carry guys when he's supposed to. I think Bo Braid is the more consistent football player right now. He's not as rangy and single high, but you can play him in two high in the slot. He's so physical coming downhill. He's an incredibly twitched up, energetic player, combats blocks. He attacks offensive linemen and, and wide receivers in space even, and he's very good at making tackles, right? So Bo Braid, to me, is the better playmaker, the better two-phase playmaker. But I think Cameron Kinchins, if you're looking for a ball hawk who can actually generate turnovers, uh, that's it. So I think some different flavors there. But those two guys are very high. Bo Braid in particular, I think they'll be a phenomenal pick, 50-53. Uh, yeah, I, I've heard a lot about Bo Braid recently. That, yeah, that's going to put an asterisk on him, name to keep an eye on. I'm going to give you a specific spot, which you should never do in the draft, but what the heck, we're doing a show. Um, the Eagles need him running back. They might bring DeAndre Swift back, um, most likely not, um, and they'll need some kind of lead back. So they're not going to take one early, and there's not one. There's no B. John Robinsons in this draft. Uh, I'm even going to eliminate those second round picks and talk about. It's going to be about 97, right, Jody? What was the uh, prediction? Yeah, that's what they're projecting for the yeah, comp projecting pick. projecting 97, the comp pick at the end of the third round. Can you find me a contributor right off the bat at 97 with a running back? 
Yeah, and I think it depends on what mold you're looking for because there are a few guys who I think can take volume but maybe don't have the top-end mass. But there are a few guys who are absolute bowling balls too, can take volume, maybe not as much versatility in the passing game. But I think you have a contrasting molds for sure. So a few names I'll throw out there, try to cover all the bases here. Uh, Bucky Irving, if he's there from Oregon, big fan of his play style. He's an absolute catalyst, explosive, twitchy, high-energy player with really good vision in congested areas, very good receiving ability too. Will Shipley from Clemson. This guy is very versatile. He's a guy who can run routes out of the backfield or even go into the slot, but he's around 5'11", 210. Very fluid fluid runner, I should say. He's He's got very good hip flexibility in between the tackles, and that allows him to sift through those narrow lanes. He's got very good vision as well. Injuries were a concern this past year, but if he can stay healthy, I really like Will Shipley. He's a very good multifaceted player. Uh, Marshawn Lloyd from USC. I think is a very underrated player. I think medicals will be big for him too, but he's around 5'9", 215, so he's got that density for you. But at the same time, he's one of the most agile, shifty runners in this entire class, very explosive in space, very good receiving back as well. So I think if you can get past the medicals, Marshawn Lloyd might have the better mix of volume, size, and density, but also evasiveness within you know tight spaces. So I like him a lot too. And then one more that I will throw out there, Audric Estime, if you're looking for a volume guy, right? That dude is 5'11", 227. So he's the bowling ball. Uh, He's got very good forward pressing physicality, very explosive too. You don't often think about the vertical speed with him because he is so big. But when he has a crease, he gets through it. And all of a sudden, he's a freight train carrying a lot of momentum and force. And that allows him to finish forward very consistently. So a few guys at RB who I think could provide optimal value. One more name I'll throw out there. I think he might go within that gap between the 97th and the 160th pick. So if you're the Eagles, you might have to move around a little bit to get optimal value. But Dylan Lobby from New Hampshire, I think is a very, very good sleeper in this class. Five, nine and a half, two ten pounds. So he's a dense guy too. And he really showed out the senior bowl, but he's an elite receiving back. He's another one who can run routes out of the backfield, who can play a slot receiver essentially too. His route running is so detailed and nuanced, the footwork, the pacing that he brings, and he's a very good catcher too, but he's also very explosive. When you watch FCS players, you want their physical traits. If they're a legitimate prospect, you want their physical traits to stand above a little bit, and Dylan Lobby definitely does. He is an accelerator who can create space with his vertical athleticism, but he's also very good at weaving through first and second level lanes. So a lot of talent, I think, in that 97 to 160 range for the Eagles. So if they want to move around a little bit, I think they can work the board and get the running back who's best for them. All right, I'll go even more specific. A player who I like coming into the season, unfortunately got hurt, missed as many games as he played, but I still love the talent. Uh, I was leaning toward him coming into the year as a potential guy to fill a role for the Eagles. That would be wide receiver three. Uh, see you, Quez. Uh, Jalen McMillan <laughs> of Washington, who unfortunately went down with an injury in September, and I don't think he came back till either late October, early November. He missed four or five weeks, four, five or six weeks. Um, just love his talent. He brings the same thing Quez does, just pure speed, bringing the top off the defense. Oh, by the way, he catches the football. Mm-hmm. Um, how much did the injury hurt his uh, draft potential as to where he's going to land and where do you think it sits by the time we get to April? I'm glad you asked about him. And if I remember correctly, on a radio spot, we had, I think you asked me about him then too. So I think uh, I'm not, that proves I'm not lying. I've been asking about him since <laughs> September, even before he got hurt. I love, well, and I'm just hoping that the injury actually drops his draft stats a little bit so he makes it more viable for the Eagles. 
Yeah, my my stance is if he's fully healthy at the NFL Combine, he's going to help some people remember about him when he runs because he's got that vertical speed, right? He's a highly touted recruit. You know, that talent is absolutely there. And I think, you know, another thing with him, he's not just a speed guy. He can catch passes, like you said, but even then, he's one of the best route runners in this class, I think. And you talk about the hinge flexibility, the footwork at stems, the ability to cut sharp angles and lead DBs in the lurch. I think he's a very complete football player with that vertical pressing speed. So he's actually a top 75 prospect for me. He's a top 15 receiver. Yeah, so I would take him in that day two range. I like him a lot. And I think that, you know, he's going to, he's a little slept on, but hopefully that'll change at the NFL combine as long as he can test. I'm a big fan. I think particularly for the Eagles, if you're looking for that wide receiver three, uh, he is that perfect blend of speed, separation, ability, and strong hands. But if you're right, he's top 75. <laughs> the Eagles aren't taking him. They're yeah, not going to no. use a. They're yeah. not going to use a, one of their top three picks on a wide receiver three. I I would think about it, but they're not. Would uh, be my speculation. There I was is, hoping. There is a chance that he gets flagged medically because he had trouble staying healthy. His frame is a little leaner, so maybe he falls yep. a bit. I never want to speak in absolutes because the board yeah. there's always a number of ways it can fall. Yeah, I, you know, a couple things DJ said yesterday that interested me in. Um, just philosophy type things. Um, one was at the top of the draft because I kind of taught. I'm a I'm a little different than most. Uh, most have Caleb, Drake, May, Jaden Daniels. I would say I'm a Jaden Daniels. I love Jaden Daniels, but I I just think he's going to be a superstar. I I got kind of spooked by Caleb Williams, which isn't fair. Um, because of that Notre Dame game, it was so bad. I, I can't get it out of my head. And I'm like, man, if you're that top level of a prospect, how do you have that? I should say it's just an outlier. But Daniel brought up a point that, you know, Patrick Mahomes got knocked down a bit back in the day because he was always chasing points because he had a terrible defense. And, you know, you take more chances and you make more mistakes. And same thing happened to Caleb Williams with with USC, which had a terrible defense. Do you do you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's a really nuanced discussion because I I do think there needs to be a balance of holding a prospect accountable for things he can improve, but also acknowledging the factors that were working against them. I think sometimes people it can go both ways, right? Some people are like, oh, you know what what he's bad at, we can fix it. It's fine, right? You don't want to turn a blind eye to those things. But you do, like you said, want to acknowledge the circumstances that he's working under. And I think for Caleb Williams, there were a lot of games where he was being asked to really put the pedal on the metal and press down hard and get his team back in the mix, right? And sometimes that big play hunting came because of that. Now, the Notre Dame game early on, like his collapse in that game started early on. It was the first half. They were not behind by too much. It was a lot of you know, digging yeah. a hole for himself, throwing three interceptions in the first half and at the very end of the half too, you know, a play where, hey, you can, it's not third down. You can take the next play and forcing the ball into a tight window. Didn't see the underneath defender. So there were times where that habit kind of comes back to a fault and takes over, right? So, you know, I think there's a balance where you need to hold them accountable, but also understand there's a lot of good on the tape, right? So it's not something that makes him a liability in any stretch. It's just something that you want to see him cut down at, at the NFL level and looking at how he'll project to an NFL team. Odds are the defenses are going to be that bad. Uh, you can't speak for, you know, absolutes again. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. the odds are he's going to be working with a little bit better situation supporting on both sides of the ball. So I'm hoping that will improve. But at the same time, you know, those traits that make him so chaotic at times 
are also what make him special. He does have that ability to create when nothing is there. The play is never over with him because of that change of direction, arm elasticity, vision in, in close quarters. So, you know, I think for him, it's a balance, understanding that there is room to improve, but also prospects can have bad games. It's okay, right? You know, you, they can have bad games. It's part of the full picture, and you ultimately want to project what they can be, and I think it all goes into that. Um, I'm going to ask you a specific question about your work leading up to uh, the draft, starting back in the college football regular season, about Jaden Daniels. Yeah. And, yeah, I'll take a little bit of a victory lap here. I had him winning the Heisman before any other national guy I know. He had a couple of games in October that I said, are, are you seeing what's going on here? I know Caleb Williams is supposed to be a lock for the Heisman. Uh, are you watching what this kid is doing down at LSU? So acknowledge for just that one year that I thought he could get the Heisman. But how many guys? When was the first mock draft you put out? Was it the day after last year's draft? I won't even count that one. I'll count from September on. When was the first mock draft you put out? I, I got to go back and check, man. I know I wrote one a month uh, from September, October, November. So I wrote one a month. So okay, you, so you we'll, back, we'll, yeah. I, I believe you. I trust you. Where do you have Jaden Jaden Daniels going in your September mock? Do you remember off the top of your head? You want to take a general poke and hope at it? I do remember there was one mock I did where I had him going to the 49ers in round two. So uh, for me, it was a it was a it was a corrective process where you know coming into the year in the summer. This guy, he had talent, right? And he improved his efficiency last year, but he was still growing as that creator. And I think this year it really came together with him having the confidence to be that big play generator in both phases, right? It really clicked for him this year. I still think as a passer, there are areas where he can improve. Not an NFL-level anticipator right now, and that bumps him a little bit down on my board. I also think the arm talent isn't quite at the level of the Caleb Williams or Drake May, but he is a guy who is that hyper-elite creator. You know, the athleticism for his size, the speed, uh, is incredible. A little bit leaner, and sometimes he'll take some hits that he probably shouldn't take, right? He's a very good competitor, and sometimes they can play against him. But again, the speed, the agility, the creative potential is near unmatched with him. And then he is a good quick game thrower who is accurate, right? So, you know, I think there's a lot to like. And I think for me, it was a, a little bit of an acclimation, not an acclimation process, but a, a correction process where you see he's playing well. All right, let's go back to the grade book, put in some new numbers, and where does he file in now? And then I think it was around October that I was like, you know, October, November, where you're starting to kind of be honest with yourself, like, hey, this guy's a first-round passer, right? It's just where does he rank? So there's always a little bit of a process because you are covering so many bases and watching so many guys right. uh, mid-season. But um, yeah, you know, you eventually you're honest with yourself and you know, you have to address this on the tape and see what you see. Knowing mm -hmm. you, I knew you'd take it that way. You'd take it as, yeah, I had to make a change. I had to revive it. I, I guarantee you. Everybody there, did. I guarantee you yeah. there were other guys that had him in the sixth round. If you had yeah. him in the second round in September, there were guys who had him in sixth round who now have him going number two overall. As great a season as he has, he won the damn Heisman. What more can you do on the collegiate level? Can you go from the sixth round to the second pick in the draft in one year's time? Can you actually do that? Can you accomplish that? I guess anything's possible, but that seems a little bit drastic for me. Yeah, I mean, anything's possible, right? Yeah, as an NFL draft analyst, I've learned never, never think you can expect what's going to happen. Never think you know what you know what's going to happen. It's just, you know, it'll always hit you with surprises, the NFL draft cycle. And the NFL cycle, yeah. like how guys progress, too. So you learn to stay open-minded and flexible and just kind of roll with the punches and, and know that you, there's a lot you don't know. And there's a lot of circumstances in flux, too. Like if Jaden Daniels never came to LSU, 
there's a good chance that he doesn't rise this high because LSU yeah. afforded him the proper supporting cast and the coaching, right? So, you know, there are so many different variables that kind of accentuate that change year over year. And as an NFL draft analyst, I think the most important thing is to understand that and be able to change with that, right, and move with that flow. So Jaden Daniels is a perfect example. And, you know, guys like Bo Nix and Michael Penix Jr., you can go down the line with the transfer quarterbacks who capitalized on that change of scenery. You know, I think it's a common theme and, you know, it's 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 something that's a part of it at this point. But as an NFL draft analyst, you learn to accept that and be fluid. That leans right into my other philosophical question at IC underscore draft. Make sure you follow Ian on X uh, does a tremendous job for the pro football network. Uh, you see, he knows the stuff transfer portal, man. Everybody plays in different spots. How, how does it, is it make it more difficult? You kind of alluded to it there. It's just part of the process. If you got to get used to it, but I mean, you mentioned Daniels, uh, Williams, uh, all the quarterbacks, basically. Except for Drake May. Except He's the for only Drake one May. Who put. Yeah, except for Drake May. I, I mean, how how much how much does that make it more difficult for you when you got guys bouncing around all over the place? Not just quarterbacks either. Every single position. Mm-hmm. I think the toughest part is recalibrating at the start of the cycle and going back because I have a 2025 watch list that has a lot of guys on it right now. And after the NFL, the 2024 NFL draft, I'm going to have to go back and like make sure that I've got all the right schools listed because there was so much <laughs> change. Right. So I think that's the toughest part of it for me. You know, I think it's difficult because every transfer player makes that decision for different reasons. And sometimes it's not fully the right reason. Sometimes I think a lot of guys do need to change the scenery, but you don't want to move just because things aren't perfect right now. All right. I'm, I'm, I want to move. I want to be a starter, right? Like sometimes you're not ready to do that. And there are some guys who do make it based on the proper merits. Like, I want to be a starter, but where's a place where I can feel properly coached up, right? You know, for my NFL development. So there's a lot of factors that go into all of those decisions. And for me, it's really just tracking where guys are going and then seeing what becomes of that, right, on the tape in the following year. You know, it's it's a it's a very complicated process. So for me, you know, what I do is I just try and, you know, understand what I can understand, control what I can control, and, you know, list guys where they are and see what happens with those changes. But, you know, understanding the transfer portal, again, it's a very inexact thing. It's a little chaotic right now, you know, with a lot of the coaches. You, you saw Jeff Halfley going to Green Bay from Boston yeah. College because a lot of hey, guys I, bailing. A lot yeah, of guys. I, I want to focus on coaches, football. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's a chaotic time right now. So as an NFL draft analyst, again, I know I sound like a broken record, but just understanding that, sitting back, watching, and uh, staying open about it. All right, uh, I'm going to really tick off all Eagle fans on this stream here right now. I'm going to suggest that Jeremiah Trotter Jr. is taken with the 52nd pick in this draft. The Eagles draft 50th and 53rd. I am really threading the needle here that he's going to go in between the two picks in the second round the Eagles have. Number one. Will he drop all the way to 50? Eagles' first chance to take him. If not, is he go shortly thereafter? If the Eagles get him with their second and their two picks, then everybody will really be happy. Um, how do you have him rated? Where is he on your power rankings of all players, knowing full well the NFL and their feeling about off-ball linebackers and the like? Where does uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. fall for you? Yeah, so he's falling a little bit for me. I still have a top 75 grade on him. He's one of my top linebackers. It's pretty clustered together right now for me, and that's one position that I'm still kind of settling because there are a lot of questions. Peyton Wilson from NC State I think has the highest film grade for me, but medically – 
there's a lot of questions there, right? So that might have an impact. Cedric Ray from North Carolina, I like. Trevin Wallace from Kentucky, another guy I like a lot. Jeremiah Trotter is kind of in that group. I had a very high grade on him coming out 2022. And I do think in 2023, you saw some of the traits that make him such a good prospect, like the, I think, within the tackles, that the instincts to play blocks, right, and combat through blocks and that physicality, but then also having the explosiveness to drive on short passes and make plays, right? So I think all of those things are there. He was dealing with a hamstring injury a lot this year, and I think it did affect his mobility at times, his change of direction. So I want to see if he's fully healthy at the NFL Combine, but an instinctive three-down defender with the coverage IQ, you know, with the block construction. I think all of those things are there for him. So he's around that range for me. I think he would be worth one of those second-round picks. If he's not there, though, I think you got guys like Trevin Wallace. you got guys like Peyton Wilson who could be there, right? Cedric Gray, I like him a lot. Junior Colson, I know he's been rising a lot, and I think when he tests, people are going to get on him even more because 6'3", 245 or so, uh, elite size speed athlete again. So there are options for you, but if you're looking for a guy who can deconstruct blocks, play physical, you know, has enough coverage IQ to work in space. Um, I think the biggest question for him is the mobility issues that we saw in 2023, how much of it was injury related and how much of it was just, he's a little bit muscle bound. He's a little bit stocky or he doesn't quite have the, the NFL level, second level mobility. So I think we'll see uh, some answers there at the NFL combine, but he is within that range for me. I see. Have a good time taking in all the combine stuff. This is your time of year. So we're going to be calling pretty often as a matter of fact we appreciate you not only joining us but getting up early to do so today thank you very much have a good time next week yes sir jody thank you for having me Our Thanks, ian. that is ian cummings from nfl draft network uh nfl draftnetwork.com mcmullen and mcdonald the mac and mac guys we'll take a quick time out we'll break down some of the stuff that ian said uh we got our guy paul domwich scheduled to join us if Dom, i think Dom went in for surgery or something like that torn surgery Achilles, i don't know I think he's he coming tore, right out. I think he tore his Achilles raking leaves or something. Yeah, I don't know. Man. He just said he had a doctor's appointment. He's going to try and be back by 920 to jump in up with us here on Birds 365. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, We've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
Hi everybody, my name is Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech, we offer three major services. The first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. You got Mac and Mac. Jordan McDonald, John McMullen here with you on Birds 365. I could have Ian Cummings on once a week as far as I'm concerned. He's that good at breaking stuff down and uh, knowing where players should be situated and uh, ratings and their strengths and weaknesses. Just uh, always enjoy talking draft with Ian when he comes on. And like I said, we got Damo scheduled to join us coming up in 15 minutes. He's coming back from an appointment, but uh, we'll probably get him up at some point during the day. Uh, Jenny, let's get back to home a little bit more with the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, People wondering why the Eagles had this massive drop-off after starting 10-1 and and how the hell did the bottom fall out as badly as it did. And everyone wants answers and or to point fingers at what transpired and why it went bad, why it went downhill. Uh, One guy found out today that it's not his fault. And that would be Albert O. Um, Yes. You you and I both uh, with the two Eagle last two Eagle signings um, guys from teams that played into the Super Bowl, didn't stay on their roster, became free agents because they weren't signed to future deals by the Chiefs and the 49ers. It made sense to us that this is where the Eagles do good work outside the margins, finding the guys who slipped through the cracks and the like. It's one of Howie's specialties. Um, and we'll see if either one of the two players they've signed can actually contribute to the team. Then there's the Albertos of the world. And I liked Alberto coming out of Missouri way back when, when he was in the draft and he had a couple of okay years with the Broncos and he had one massive preseason game i think he had a hundred yard game in preseason yeah the big preseason game yeah it kind of grabbed the eagle attention he was there all year and john i gotta give you a high five on this one you tied him for a number of catches for the philadelphia eagles this year you and he finished got one more target than i did yeah he beat you with targets but uh catches for the 2023 philadelphia eagles john mcmullen albert o tied at zero um because they gave some up to get him, is that the line of logic here that they had to swap a six or a seventh? That how he feels committed, pot committed on Albert O. What did he do this year that merits him coming back to this team and the the need to get it done before free agency actually starts? Um, I I think it's one of those things. I I don't think it's a big deal. Number one, I think you know they'll be able to get a 
My 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 assumption is remember they acquired him at the initial cut down to fifty three. So you're talking whatever it was, August 29th, 30th, whatever it was last year. Um, so he wasn't with the team in the spring in training camp. Uh, he's still with Denver. So uh, maybe they want to get a bigger look at him, an extended look, let him have a, a real spring and a real summer and see if he can contribute. You mentioned it back in the draft. I mean, the guys, and, and you liked him coming out of Missouri. A lot I of did. people did because the guy's 6'5", 260, and he runs a four four nine. The guy's a physical freak. So that's always been the, hey, if he can put it together, he could really turn into something. Um and it never, he had a couple, as you mentioned, flashes with Denver, caught 54 balls over three seasons. So, you know, he contributed to them a little bit more, certainly, than he did here. I think it's a situation where they want to see him, and they're not in love with uh, Grant Calcaterra, obviously. Um, and, you know, maybe they sign somebody in free agency, maybe they draft somebody, and it becomes, and they just cut him. Um, but, you know, let him have the spring and let him have the summer. And if something clicks, you might have an upgrade at that backup tight end as a receiver. And that's what they've been looking for. Um, so I don't think it hurts, but I'm a little bit surprised. I didn't think, you know, everybody who does this, I saw a bunch of guys, everybody does their stay and go list uh, after the season. Everybody had Albert going, everybody. Because yeah. um, they didn't use him. And they had, even when Dallas Goddard got hurt, he had, I got to look it up, 57 snaps on the season. That's it. And 32 of them came in one game. And that's it. They 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 barely looked at him. They barely used him. So, you know, he, again, he came in late. Um, maybe they want to look at him. Maybe Kellen Moore wants to look at him. And maybe Kellen Moore saw him from afar and said, yeah, I'll, I use tight ends. That dude can run. Um, let's see what he has. It's by no estimation that similar to those future signings. If they don't work, it's no big deal. You just, I, I'm, I'm sure you got the league minimum. You just cut them and move on. Here's the only place where it can become a bigger deal. Not become guaranteed. It's going to be a bigger deal. I'm not going out on that limb. Yeah, I still think there's a role for Calcaterra under the right offense. And last year's Eagles wasn't that offense. And they drafted him with the Eagle offense in place. So they either thought he was going to fit to it or it was going to fit to him. And I don't think it's been a perfect fit since. But I think the guy can both run routes and catch the football, which I'm sorry that I can find. I'll put it on my offensive coordinator to find a way to use a guy with those two talents. And I saw none of that out of Albert O, and it's been a couple of years. I know he put up some numbers in Denver, but I didn't get to see it with my own eyes. So I just am looking at numbers on a piece of paper. Um, I saw it with Calcaterra, and that this to me signifies Grand Calcaterra's got no chance to make this team. Um, they're, they're going to upgrade a tight end somehow, either via the draft or a free agent signing who's not making the veteran minimum like uh, we're assuming Albert O is which means there's not going to be a roster spot. And I, I like 
Calcaterra better than I do Alberto for this Eagle offense going into the next year. Well, they're not going to, I mean, he's still under his rookie deal. He'll have a chance to compete um, in the spring and summer, as I was talking about. So if he outplays him, um, but yeah, I, I don't think they think highly of Grant Calcaterra. I, I will say that. Um, I think that's pretty evident uh, as well, but I didn't think they thought highly of Albert O and he's back. Um, I got to look up Grant had, let's see, uh, Grant Calcaterra. Got to look at how many snats he had. 120. Um, more than Albert, yeah. Which, yeah, more than Albert. He played consistently. So that's even more concerning to me. Like Albert only played in four games um, with those snaps. Calcaterra. Played 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 games. Um, and the most snaps he got in one game was 18. 18. So even Did he play even, specials? Yeah, I'm not talking about – yeah, he does. But I'm not talking about special team snaps. I'm talking uh, about that, offensive snaps. The, the reason I brought that up was you, you ran out how many games he played in as compared to how many games Albert played. Albert didn't play on special no, teams. No, no, no. So that's why Calcaterra um, would yeah. play in more games because he actually contributes on specials. Yeah. Um, he was one of the blockers uh, for the kick returners. I know that. So he was one of the upbacks. They, they really don't have – old school upbacks anymore because what they've done with the kickoff returns, but nonetheless, he's, he was one of those guys. Um, and, you know, but as far as the offense goes, you know, even they gave Albert the one extended look when Dallas Goddard was hurt, they didn't give that to Grant. So that's not a good sign, I would say, but they need to improve. Yeah, you know, I think Jack Stoll's fine as the backup sort of blocking tight end, but they need to improve behind Dallas Goddard because let's be honest, Dallas Goddard, the way he plays, we talk about it with Avante Maddox, same thing with Dallas Goddard. He wins Kyle Brandt's angry run award twice. Well, he also hurt himself doing it, and yeah. that's two consecutive years. Now, the year prior, he got pulled down by his face mask. That's bad luck, but he gets hurt because he plays – kind of violently so you know if you need to replace him for three four games which has been the case over the past two seasons you'd like to have somebody who can give you a little bit more um and i think the eagles are searching for that all right uh one other thing i want to run by you before we get uh our buddy paul domwich up here um your friend in mind derek classen I asked you about Derek a couple of weeks ago. Remember, we brought him up from the 33rd. He is oh, he was the, the uh, quarterback. Team. quarterback. Yes, the quarterback yeah. guru of the 33rd team, Derek Glasson, who had I forgot. I had already forgot. I, I didn't know where you were oh, going. I got, a, I got a piece of paper right here that I will keep next to me all season long where Anthony Richardson is rated ahead of Jalen Hurts from number 16 to number 17. That really and, is absurd. And, I, Bro I, and Brock I, Purdy is number 18, coming off a Super Bowl appearance where John McMullen said if he plays clean, they can win the game. He played clean, and they still didn't win the damn game. But he's got Purdy behind Hurts at number 18. They did have a chance, and Purdy played well enough for them to win that game. Um, 
Derek Klassen at it again. He's ranked all 32 play callers in the National Football League. From one through thirty-two, I'm go. Uh, we're, we're I'm gonna, already, I'm already pissed off by that. Uh, we're uh, okay. Uh, we're gonna bookend this thing. Who do you think is number one? Kyle, I would think. Kyle Shanahan is his number one. Who do you think is number thirty-two? Well, I, I assume the new guys don't count. Um, oh no, he's got some new guys in there. Oh well, then I'd have to. And this is not a new guy. Not a new guy. Um, Was new uh, last year. So he's in his second year of play calling responsibilities. Oh, it's not Brian Johnson who got fired. No, no, no. Um, no. I don't know. I don't know. That would be the play caller for the New York Jets. Nathaniel Hackett is number 32. That's, well... You know, that's that's got more to do with Denver, I imagine. But uh, uh, whatever it has to do with, he is number 32. J-E-T-S, Jets, 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 32nd at last in the National Football but League. But Aaron Rodgers should be the 32nd, but he, he, didn't, he didn't get he, to play. He, he's going to be the whisperer in the year for Nathaniel Hackett and might be able to get him out of 32nd place. Um, truthfully, I don't have a problem with either two of those rankings. Uh, the Eagles have a new play caller, John McMullen. Kellen Moore will be calling plays for the Philadelphia Eagles this year. Where do you think he's got Mr. Moore ranked? Um, coming off last year, which wasn't great, I'm going to say 14th. Uh, you need to go a little bit lower than that. Lower? Lower, um, as in backwards. Wow. That bad, huh? Um, 14 would be, would be the top half. Uh, he would be in the bottom half. 17th is also a little bit high. Man. He's got Kellen Moore ranked as the 19th best play caller coming into the season. Yeah, I don't know. The only, the only, the, the only uh, thing that makes me feel good about this is Cliff Kingsbury, 26th. Yeah. Who the Eagles also wanted to hire, and I wanted no part of. I hope you're right about that one, Derek. That Cliff Kingsbury is this fascination in fantasy where he doesn't actually how merit do you judge it. play callers. I mean, I, 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 come on, results. You judge the results, and that's fine, which is fine. But then judge offensive coordinators. You know, don't judge. You you're putting the term play calling that. It, that like, is like Mike McCarthy is the play caller. He's not the offensive coordinator of Dallas Cowboys. He's the head coach slash play caller. And oh, by the way, he's rated ahead of uh, Kellen Moore. Um. All right. Well, then make up a term: offensive uh, no, play callers. It is what it is. I, I I comprehend what he was. Uh, those that he was trying to rank. Those who call plays on Sundays. I don't have a problem with his grouping or, or definition of what he's trying to use. I just think that Kellen Moore hasn't done enough to be. Well, it's, I guess it, as, as long, as long as he's not judging. All right. If you just want to use the title and you're judging the best uh, uh, overall, you know, coordinator or guy who runs an offense. Yeah, that's fine. But if you're actually judging, if you claim you're actually judging play calling, 
I have a problem with it. So it kind of depends again. Why would you have a problem with it? Because they don't know the play call. It's impossible to know. Again, you can have the best play call, and I've had this discussion with Doug Peterson, or you can have the worst play call, and somebody saves your ass, and you look like a million bucks, and you can have the best play call, and a left guard misses a block, and you look like a you-know-what. You don't. You can't. Ju- you're judging play results. Which yes, that's about exactly what you're doing. You're judging yes. play results. That's all I'm saying. So, and you don't. You, I I don't have a problem with that. Apparently, you do. I got no problem judging the results. Well, that's fine. But judge the results. Don't say, oh, blah 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 is a bad play caller. Judge, blah 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 had bad results. Is what you're saying? That's yes. Different. Yes. And which is fine. That I'm fine. Yeah, I got no problem with that. And. I just think he's got Kellen Moore a little low. Uh, he's McMullen on McDonald. He is back. He's back for the doctor. He lives. Glad to see it. No, I wasn't sure we were going to have him, but we got him. And he's got a cool shirt on. Paul Domwich, 3013jacobsports.com. Up next, here on Birds 365. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit. And the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, We've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. field of life first trust bank is there for you because philadelphia dreams deserve a philadelphia bank Hi everybody, my name is Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech we offer three major services. The first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you're having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online.
Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. Appreciate you streaming in here to Birds 365. I went uh, speed racer today with my T-shirt. Tommy Bahama is the way our buddy Paul Domwich went. Now, did you wear that shirt to the doctor's office and then change when you got, or did you uh, been uh, got rolled out of bed and just automatic Tommy Bahama on Friday? How did your uh, wardrobing go today, Domwich? Every day is a day in Hawaii here in South Jersey. So. Yes. God yeah, damn it. Hasn't you live a better way. life than I do. That I got to reevaluate my life. Yeah. I'm not wearing the Hawaiian shirt when I'm taking the dog out. It's 20 degrees, Domo. I can't do it. You got a coat on. That's not a yeah. problem. I wear a short sleeve shirt on the right. I can't do it. I, my dog doesn't wait for me, man. I got to go out. I'm freezing. I, yeah. I can't. Uh, got to have that coat handy. Um, I'm glad you were able to jump in here in hour yeah. number two. Uh, the combine coming up on, uh, I guess some teams will start getting there on Sunday. It gets underway on Monday. You got a good combine story for us? Anything you didn't expect or ran into somebody or somebody made an, a fool out of themselves in the years that you headed out in the uh, a lot of alcohol stories? Yeah. <laughs> Give us your best combo story, whether you were or weren't wearing a Tommy Bahama shirt. Uh, man, I, I mean, I started going to them. I, I was the only guy there at the first one uh, in uh, Indianapolis. So uh, uh, early on, uh, they had a guy in charge of the combine who just did not want the media there. I mean, it's hard to believe considering now that it's turned into a media yeah. fest where, uh, you know, uh, but back then we were the enemy and they, they were trying to keep secrets and uh, uh, they would take the chair. The guy, the guy, we used to hang out in the uh, the lobby of the Holiday Inn Union Station where the players stayed and got tested, uh, which is right next to uh, what the what is now Lucas Field, but uh, before that the Hoosier Dome. And when before we would get there, they would go into the lobby and take out every the guy would take out every chair so that we could be you know as uncomfortable as possible and not want you know with nothing no place to sit down and. Uh, you know, so back then, you know, it was it was very difficult to get, you know, you had to count on agents to get interviews. Um, yeah, I remember, a, and this again is a way back when story, back when, when those leather trench coats used to be in fashion with, the, with agents and other people who thought they were really cool. And I remember it, it almost got to a fistfight between two agents and believe it or not one of them was uh drew rosenhaus oh, oh shocker shocker oh so it isn't so dumb using him of stealing his client which again is so hard to believe with drew but uh so back in, in those days it was a lot more fun and unpredictable yeah. the wild wild west that's where it's done you know now it's it's a great place to be as far as access to you know you know players and getting interviews that you need uh things like that so yeah and i hope they keep it indie uh but i still think and they and they keep extending it so there is some groundswell for it but i i think it's going to be in la i think it's going to be i I think ultimately they're going to move it out there and it's going to be uh 
but that's the way everything's going. If you go to the senior bowl, we were, who, who were we talking to Jody? Uh, uh, who was down there? Tommy, Tommy Lawler was down there. The senior bowl. I mean, it used to be everybody mingling. Now they keep you on both sides and you can't have as much access. I think the same thing has already happened to the combine, but it's going to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. I hope it's not the case, but I think that's the way it's going. Um, one way it is going is that I did it. 12 coaches are not talking at the combine. Six GMs are not talking. So that means six teams don't have their head coach or GM there. Um, in the days post COVID, everything's video, Zoom, blah, blah, blah. Sean McVay, Lesney, we can get more work done at home. Yeah. Um, you think you, you like that thought process. You don't like that thought process. I give the Eagles credit. I'm surprised. You, you have an avenue. Howie's going to talk. Nick's going to talk. This has not been the easiest of off seasons with all the rumors and all that stuff swirling. I give him credit for still doing it because a lot of teams are bailing on that. Yeah. I mean, you can get most things from film, uh, but the in-person contact with a with a, a guy that you may be about to hand over your future to uh, is invaluable. I mean, that's why I think, you know, you, you know, it's I like to see coaches go to a lot of these pro days uh, and get to just they get a better feel for a guy than they're going to get on film. Uh, I mean, you're going to get the measurements and the and the forty time and the and the vertical jump uh, and all that on film. I mean, we, they did it during COVID for God's sakes when they didn't. Yeah. Even, yeah. In, in 2021, I don't think. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't like it. If, I mean, if I'm running an organization, I want my coach there. I want him to, to get a sense of these guys, just the human contact as opposed to, you know, the film. Damo, if you were a member of the Philadelphia Eagle staff, scout, contributor, assistant general manager, yeah, Howie's going to keep his job. We're not giving you Howie's job. But you were someone who Howie leaned on and you gave uh, your impression, your reports and the like. For those who skip events at the Combine, some guys don't run, some guys don't lift, some guys will only come in and take the medicals and then meet with the team but won't work out a little bit. Do you How how would you deal with that if you, were, if you just asked your general impression? Are you okay with it? Hey, it's understandable. The downside outweighs the upside. Wouldn't hold it against a player or something you would hold against a player. Come on, you're a football player. You're not supposed to just sit here and talk to us. We actually want to see you do something athletic if we're going to make you a first-round pick. How would you handle someone who at the combine says, yeah, I'll do this and that, but I'm not doing the rest of it? You know, I mean, we've, we've been hearing for years, guys, like uh, back when Bill Polian was still an executive, you know, oh, these guys are going to suffer, you know, they're, they're going to go down and, you know, it's going to hurt their grade. And then, you know, we'd get to the draft and these guys would get drafted exactly where they were expected to be drafted. Uh, as long as you're getting a chance to see them do something, you know, if they're healthy and they do it at either their pro day, if they don't do it at the combine, I'm okay with that. I mean, what, what, what is one of the most important parts of the uh, combine is the interviews. I mean, that's when you kind of get a sense of the guy. That's what, you know, that's why I think a coach needs to be there for those, uh, the in-person interviews, the 15 minutes with a, 
with a with a guy watch him not just watch him uh you know go up on the whiteboard and break down a play that you're asking him to break down but but just to see just to get a sense of his personality those kind of things uh you know we've in an ideal situation sure you'd like to see them run in both places uh in this pro day and his combine but it just doesn't happen uh just like first rounders don't go to the senior bowl anymore so you deal yeah. with it. you adjust that's just the way life is now in the nfl right. well yeah and plus nick's got to drag the little eagles basketball hoop to test the competitiveness and uh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what 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 was he playing the first year what what game was he playing i forget already what it was, was it for what was to play yeah Rock scissors, yeah. Rock scissors, rock, rock scissors, paper. Yeah, uh, Rochambeau, as I like to call it. Yeah, so you got to test their competitiveness with the rock, uh, yeah. paper, scissors. That's a very important part of the process. Yeah, uh, it has changed. Uh, closer to home, this is one everybody does their stay or go list, you know, Damo after the season. Yeah, I think every single one of us had. Albert Ogwigbanam going. All of a sudden, they sign him. It's not that big of a deal. I mean, they probably want to look at him. He came in late. You give him a spring and summer. Maybe he catches on. Maybe he's better than Grant Calcaterra. If not, you can release him. Um, are you a little surprised, or you see how he gave up something for him, so they want to keep him around at least a little bit longer, give him every opportunity? Whenever Howie gives up something for somebody, he's going to give them every opportunity. Uh, I also don't think right now they know what they got in Grant Calcaterra because yeah, I, I, I expected yeah. more from him late in the season. Uh, he didn't, you know, he got some snaps. Didn't, you know, he and uh, Jalen didn't seem to be uh, meshing too much. Jalen never seemed to look for him. Um, so, yeah, I, I think right now their their situation at tight end beyond Dallas Goddard is, is so wide open that they want everybody back before they make any decisions. All right, Damo, this goes back to your day, and I actually surprised John when I said this the other day. Uh, back in the 90s, <laughs> I thought Craig Carton was a pretty good Eagle beat reporter. He was the Eagle beat reporter for WIP. And I used to have Craig come on my midday show every once in a while. Um, and I thought he was actually pretty good at it. I thought that he had guys that talked to him. And every once in a while, he'd get something that uh, he'd get at first or he'd get something that nobody else had. This week, I think he's just throwing stuff at the wall to see if it'll stick. I, 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 he's not on the beat anymore, but somehow he's got inside information that nobody else has. So I'm not confirming what Craig did. I'm just saying... There was a time when Greg wasn't a bad Eagle beat reporter, and he did a good job. You were there when uh, Craig was on the beat. Shoot, WIP paid for him to travel with the team. He went to road games. He didn't just do it at home games. He went to road games, too. You ever have any interaction with Craig? No. Okay. All right. Just wondering. <laughs> right. I think that tells that tells a tale right there. No, I mean, and I, I put this on X yesterday, and I said – it's boring. I, I I said, I'm sorry, it's boring, but I didn't notice any severe kind of dysfunction in a locker room. And I was there from start to finish. I just didn't see it. Yeah. Um, I saw a bunch of players not playing up to their standard at, late in the season. I saw a whole lot of that. Um, is it just 
people need an explanation. They need an explanation. How do you go 10 and one? How do you fall off a cliff? It's got to be something nefarious other than Oxum's razor. Simplest explanation is usually the right explanation. Like Damo, you tore your Achilles. Jody said, you got a torn Achilles. I'm joking. He, he was joking. He went there. But, yeah. but the simplest explanation is usually the right one. But you guys didn't play well. There we go. Let's turn the page. Let's get yeah. a bunch of players that play well together. Maybe it's the coaching staff. Maybe, But this grandiose, I didn't see it. I'm sorry. No. But let me ask you, and Damo, I want your take too, but this is kind of for John. So when, who was it who said the most miserable 10 in one locker room they'd ever well, been? Well, we all said I that. Think, well, that's what I mean. That Jeff, Jeff, Jeff McLean said it. He, I think he used the term, but we the all term, said, right. It looks and like, you said it and the Kratz said it, everybody else who was in the locker well, room said it. Uh, that well, to is, me. There, like, there's got to be some reason that they're the most miserable 10 to one team in the history of football. Yeah. They, 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 the expectations, I talked about it all year. The expectations were so out of whack, so high that they would win these games and they wouldn't get style points. And they wouldn't celebrate like a normal win, like a normal NFL win. It's like a party in the locker room afterwards. They're like, oh, we didn't play that well. But, but that's what I meant. I think that's what Jeff meant. I think that's what Ed meant. Not that they hated each other. It was just this extraordinary strain of the expectations coming off the year prior. Right. So now I got a question for both of you again. And Dom, are you first this time? Is that Sirianni's fault? Did he allow that to happen? He's the coach of the football team. He's the culture setter. And yet, at 10-1, and 1, they're winning games, but they're not doing it with style points, not doing it enough. Does Sirianni have to correct that? Does he have to step in and go, hey, come on, let's go. We're 10-1. and 1. He allowed this to permeate throughout his locker room. Is that the coach's fault, that they were the most miserable 10-1 and 1 team ever? Because of high expectations, as John just stated. I mean, I've 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 said before, I think maybe even last week, that you know there was an arrogance with with Nick uh, coming off last season, where I thought he just thought he was going to be able to snap his fingers, and everything was going to you know go like it did the year before, uh, and that didn't happen. Uh, and I don't think he adjusted well, uh, both schematically or in the locker room, as far as how he dealt with these guys. I mean, you know. I, there, there's some crazy stuff coming up now with ex explanations for this season. I mean, I thought I had seen it all until I saw where now it's apparently because Dom, the suspension to Dom has, yeah. was what caused this whole downfall, yeah. that he was the guy that kept Nick in check. I mean, come on. I, that, that's what I said. I mean, and by the way, Dom was back for the Tampa game. What? what, what, what it didn't yeah. look like it got much better without A.J. Brown, by the way. Yeah. But, uh I mean, they were yeah. unhappy early on because a, you know, they they weren't. I mean, nobody made a big deal of it then. They were they weren't killing, not you know, they weren't blowing anybody out. They were their their offense was was kind of playing as at least point wise on a level with the year before. But their defense from the start struggled. Uh, their third down defense all year was the worst in the league. It wasn't something that that, that just happened in week twelve uh, or thirteen. I mean. And I, you know, when you when you have a defense as bad as that one was last year, 
Right yeah. there, you're generally going to have friction between offense and defense. Uh, I mean, that, you saw that back going back to the '80s with, uh, you know, with, with with when Reggie and that and and that and those guys were so good defensively, and and they, you know, I mean, Seth Joyner would call out uh, Randall Cunningham for being, you know, for 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 being not not studying hard enough and stuff like that. I mean, that's just a part of the game. Uh, yeah. Well, I winning, yeah, yeah, winning, losing creates issues obviously and then winning kind of smooths them all over but you know typically over the course of the year you might see some stuff and i always you see you know like cj i'm i'm honest cj gardner johnson you know he would walk in the locker room guys would roll their eyes you know big weird kind of weird personality i mean not that it was bad he was a great player he made plays they made the super bowl wasn't that big of an issue, but you could sense there's a bunch of guys who are like, you know, just tone it down. <laughs> I got none of that this year. I yeah. got none of it. No, nowhere. I, 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 you know, Nelson tried to take a swig at me once. Aguilar, uh, John Ganode had to save me. I, you, you see all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I didn't see any of it. So, hey, maybe I'm getting old. Maybe I didn't see any of it. Now I saw Pletcher get mad at us when we figured out where the special teams depth chart was. And he ripped <laughs> that down in front of us. Um, but that was, you know, reporters players. Um, I didn't see any of it, Damo. Any of it. Uh, you know, Kel- there's a bunch of good guys. My lot is phenomenal. Kel- uh, Kelsey, um, Lane didn't talk this year because he was pissed off about um there was an anonymous GM that said he talks a lot and that's why he gets all the accolades. So he decided to prove to that anonymous GM somewhere. Uh, Jeremy Fowler reported it, uh, that he could be an all pro and not uh, talk. So that was his deal. Um, Hassan, I think was dealing with contract issues. So that's always kind of an issue. He didn't want to talk about that, but this clash between People, I just didn't see. And A.J. Brown is one of the best guys in that locker room. I mean, he's just, he gets along with everybody. But he's got some issues with social media. Slay, I think people don't realize Slay gets along with everybody because he's got the big personality. You know, BG. I mean, he's phenomenal. I just didn't see it. I didn't see it. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> I mean, the end of the year, the way they played. I mean, there's there's no doubt there was they were all miserable at that point. Oh I mean, yeah, they well, they're miserable over losing. Yeah. Finger pointing, I'm sure was was if it wasn't visible, they were uh, under their breath were were blaming each other because, I mean, that was just some ugly play those last six seven. Weeks yeah, they didn't play well. Yeah, the the Not, play was atrocious. Damo, uh, prior to his. MVP level season, Jalen Hurts had gone out to California to work with uh, House and Dado, two quarterback gurus, mentors and the like. I, I don't believe he went out there again this year. And it was in part because the Eagles and the NFL kind of needed Jalen to be a, not a face of the franchise in Philadelphia, one of the faces of the NFL have you heard anything, reading, read anything? Would you make that amend? If you're Kellen Moore, you now got the job as offensive coordinator. 
Are you calling? I asked Jalen, can I see your itinerary to get back out to California to work with your quarterback gurus? How aggressive will Kellen Moore be the day he shows up for the Eagles and starts running this uh, offense? Well, I mean, I read he's he's already talked to Jalen. Uh, in fact, he mentioned that he talked football, which is probably going to get him a fine or the organization of fine. Oh, because, shoot, I didn't even think about that. Good point. Yeah, get the checkbook but, out, Kellen. <laughs> here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Most NFL coaches do not want their quarterbacks going out and working with these independent guys because they, no. don't, they don't know what they're teaching them. They don't know what kind of mechanics they're they're, no. they're teaching them. A lot of times they get these guys back and they got to retrain them. Um, so the, that's why the league is so screwed up with this. You know, I mean, the union feels, you know, we don't want to, you know, these guys deserve time off, blah, blah, blah. And, but particularly for quarterbacks, it hurts these guys. I mean, Jalen is not able to, uh, you know, he's not getting a head start on this new offense. He's not able to talk to, to Kellen Moore, uh, presumably about, uh, you know, about it. Uh, you know, they're, they're not going to, I mean, it just, it, not allowing these guys to have access to the coaches and to uh, you know playbooks and 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 you know getting some snaps before April is just stupid. But it's what this league's become because of you know the 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 the, the owners want money. The players said, okay, well, in exchange for giving you 17 games, you got to you know we're going to go light in the in the off season. Quality of life, yeah, it's that's like, the only thing they win. Quality of life, uh, they never win been, money. It's made the game worse, and it's made preparation wow. worse. And you know, uh, I remember, Tombo, you asked, I, you, you and I were talking to Jeff Stoutland the one year, and it was one the USFL was still going. The uh, no, the A AAF um, with Charlie Ebersol, that correct? Yeah, I'm the only guy that's old enough to remember the original USFL. Yeah, oh, me too. Uh, I, well, got original, I got a Birmingham the, Stallions hat somewhere the, the, in my, the, the, at the, my house. I, I, I meant the reboot, but it was actually the AAF. Um, Charlie Ebersol was gripped in everybody, but um, he, he at the time he was talking about trying to make it a developmental league for the NFL. The NFL had no interest, but he was right. trying to grip people. And Jordan Mailata was, um, at that time, still the raw developmental. And I think you asked Stoutland, basically, <clears throat> you know, would you want to give him over, you know, get some reps in the AA or some something right. like that? And Stoutland's like, I don't want anybody touching this guy. <laughs> I don't want somebody screwing him up. Um, yeah. yeah, it's tough. But you almost have to be to be great. You almost have to go out and work on your own. Yeah. So you got to find the best available. I think Tom House and Adam Dedu are the best available. Um, Jalen did go out there last year, but he didn't spend as much time out there. So uh, that was the difference. No, I don't know if that's the difference to why, but he didn't spend as much time. He did go, though, Jody. Yeah. But he didn't spend as much yeah. time. You have a meal? I don't know how much time, yeah, but he yeah. did go. He did go. Um yeah, you also got two hundred fifty million dollars. So uh, writing, uh, picking up the plane ticket, not a problem when you're a quarter billionaire. Uh, yeah. If he if he went to just shake hands and say hi, I'm I'm not going to give him a lot. I think he did more than that, that. Is what I'm saying. I, yeah. I, I he was working out there, but for a short period at least. Yeah. But, uh, I don't think it was extensive. That was one of the things. 
He did. And Carson Wentz did the same thing, by the way, before 2017 is MVP almost season, MVP like season. He went out there to work with those guys and then he stopped and kind of lost the mechanics a little bit. I think losing John DiFilippo had a big part of that as well. But um, yeah, it's tough. These guys don't get to work. So they have to go out on their own. You have to find the best coaches available. And yeah, if you're an NFL coach, you don't want those guys screwing you up, but they yeah. could in theory. I think a lot, of, a lot of, for a while there, I don't know right now, but a lot of teams, you know, they knew these guys were going to work with somebody and they, they would steer them to guys they trusted. I mean, Gruden uh, would be one. Yeah. Um, you know, House, you mentioned. I mean, guys that, that they knew when they got the quarterback uh, back, he wouldn't be like uh, throwing passes, you know, in midair. So, Tim Tebow passes. <laughs> Yikes. To this, uh, to this day, by the way, Tim Tebow is the only person I've ever seen throw a pass over the shrubs at the Novacare complex and outside uh, the facility. So congratulations. Why, why, why am I not surprised? Um, I, I'm a last one for me because John and I earlier in this week when the Eagles signed a couple of guys to futures contracts, reserve futures contracts, said this is Howie Roseman improving the team, or at least taking a shot to improve the team outside the margins, which is a good thing. And I, John and I both agree it's one of his strengths. Andy Reid up to that same business by signing the punt god. We've been waiting for two years for Matt Ariza to get a shot. And apparently the Kansas City Chiefs are the team that are going to give him that. Buffalo brought him into camp. Then the whole thing hit the fan and he was out of football this entire year. I, you know I'm on CBS Sports Radio uh, Saturday night till the wee hours in the morning. So I watched him play football on the collegiate level out there on the West Coast. I got nothing else to do. Got at the TV on while I'm on the air. And I watched some of his punts. I said, oh, my God, this is the greatest collegiate punter I've ever seen. So I started talking up Matt Ariza two Octobers ago. Um, Andy Reid, once again, head of the curve. We try and give the Eagles what we think they're head of the curve credit. We got to do the same for Andy Reid. Hey, when you're uh, two back-to-back uh, -back Super Bowls, you can do anything and nobody's going to question you. So you got that you know, right. You can be a little braver. You know, and Andy's a guy that gives people chances uh, because of his own, you know, per because of what's happened with his own family that, uh, you know, he's not he's not reluctant to do that. And by the way, Kansas City has one of the best punters in football, Tommy Townsend, who was phenomenal in the Super Bowl. Um, but he's a free agent and he's going to get paid, at least paid for a punter in the NFL. Because if he's not the best, he's the second best. Ironically, probably Wisnowski was San Francisco. They were the two best players in the game for a long period. Yeah. Um, and did and you see that? Sorry to interrupt. Like Peter King had the numbers in his column last week. They had the same exact number of punts for the same exact. It was like yeah. outrageous. Exactly the same in the Super Bowl. 49ers punter and Kansas City punters were exact yeah. same numbers. Yeah, and they were they were great. Both of them are great, and yeah. Townsend is phenomenal. But you know, nobody wants to pay a punter more than they have to, and you can bring in this kid for the league minimum. Oh yeah, and make yeah. a few bucks. Um, that's why Kansas City's smart. Although I don't, I find it very hard to believe he might punt it farther 
But NFL's punting. There's a lot more than just punting it far. You got to kick directionally. You got to kick away from returners. You got to do some things. You're not going to be as good as Tommy Townsend. Tommy's good, but you know nobody wants to pay punters. Nobody. Yeah, we we used to say that about kickers too, and now all the kickers just kick it off the back of the end zone, and nobody ever kicks tries to positional kick and forth the other team. Well, punter though, you still have to. Yeah. It's different than kickers, but the yeah. the spe- whole special team teams things have changed. All right, uh, Dummel, you got a doctor appointment? Maybe dance instruction? You got anything for next Friday that we gotta? Work with you on schedule because we need you here every single week with shirts like that. I'm just uh, trying to get seven days in advance. You got anything no, coming I think, up next week? I think I'm clear. I think I can fit you in. You are the man, Damo. Always a pleasure, buddy. Thanks for jumping Thanks, in today. Thanks, Damo. Happy Damo on X, by the way. Make sure you follow uh, Paul on X. And he will be uh, here with us next week after watching a combine all week like McMillan and McDonald. We'll be watching all week long. Uh, leading into next Friday when Damo's back. We'll be back. We got to put a bow on the show here on Birds 365. But before we do, let me help you Birds fans out. Here's your chance to save up to 40% on your car insurance. You can do that right now from one of Jacob Sports' great partners. Here's what you need to do. Call one of the two managing general partners. That would be either Jim or Fran. And tell them you're a friend of Jacob Sports and Birds 365. My name is uh, Fran Solano. I'm a managing director here at DelVal Insurance Group. Been in the business for over 36 years, saving people money on their insurance needs. Give us a call. Let us help you custom design an insurance plan that meets both your needs and budget. Go to get your game on. Go for the beers. Go for the cheers. Go for the hit and the hits. Go for the stakes and the stakes. Go to get your parlay on. Go to get your party on. Go for the scene. Go for the screens. Go for the gallery. Go for the win. Go to Ocean. Visit theoceanac.com to plan your visit. At Pond Lee Hockey, we've recovered billions of dollars for our clients, and we're confident we can do the same for you. With over 250 years of combined courtroom experience, we've helped over 100,000 injured clients obtain some of the largest settlements in Pennsylvania. One conversation is all it takes to help you and your family get back on track. If you've been injured in an accident, give Pond Lee Hockey a call. Field of life. First Trust Bank is there for you. Because Philadelphia dreams deserve a Philadelphia bank.
Hi everybody, my name is Jason Lombardi. I'm an inspector at DryTech. At DryTech, we offer three major services. The first one being basement waterproofing. The second service we offer is foundation and structural repairs. And then the third service that we offer is mold remediation. If you feel you are having a waterproofing issue, give DryTech a call or check us out online. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. For the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. Mac and Mac guys, back to put a bow on the show here on Bird Street 65. Well, uh, excuse me, next week, combine week from the time we get on. Um, I, I believe they don't have anything official on the books till Monday, but I know a lot of guys, I know a couple guys, I should say, at least not, if not a lot, uh, were flying out on Sunday. They like to get there ahead of time, lay of the land, maybe sneak in an interview or two. So uh, we may have something actually as far as uh, news, newsworthy goes by the time we get on here Monday. We will definitely on Tuesday. And yeah, I was right. I remembered correctly. It was Peter King's article because I had not seen this. The two punters in the Super Bowl, exactly the same stat line, five punts each for five, 254 yards. That That's like unheard of. You can't go into a game and say the punters are going to have, number one, the exact same number of punts. And then number two, punt for the same exact number of yards, 254 apiece. Townsend gets the win because he kind of banked one off a 49ers leg that led to a turnover, which was as big a play as almost any in the Super Bowl. But uh, he may or may not be back with the Chiefs next year. That's uh, yeah, yeah, the kind of game. Yeah, expensive man. Yeah, they both were tremendous. They really and I'm only somewhat facetiously early in the game. They were the best players. I I know Wisnowski. They were not only, you know, his net. You you mentioned the the same. I'm looking it up. I know we got to go. His net was 48.4 net, so 50.8, 48.4. So they're getting nothing. Three inside the 20. Townsend's was 50.8 gross, 50.8 nets. So they didn't get one yard when he punted, and he had two inside the 20. They were phenomenal. Yep. Phenomenal. They were um, starred star the show in the yeah. first half, basically. Yeah. The punters. Yeah, that's what you want out of your Super Bowl. Who are the best players? The two punters. Yeah. But Nobody I, cares I, until it happens and Aaron Seapas kicks the ball the wrong way and boom, you know, then you got to picked up in the second half when Kyle Shanahan kind of felt that little uh, sweat on the back of his neck and uh, didn't lend itself to good decisions. Best play caller in the business, though. He may well be. And that is one very defined role that he has. But when you're the head coach of a football team, you're asked to do a little bit. By the way, I looked at Derek Klassen's list after you told, after we went. It's all at the top. Look at the top 10. It's all the Shanahan Kubiak guys. It's all the McVeighs, the LaFleurs, O'Connell was in the top 10. All those guys. Stefanski, all those guys. But poor Clint Kubiak, he had down to 31. Clint should be right up in the top five. 
Flint hasn't called plays yet. That is he did before though. He did before. He did uh he did in Minnesota. He did for one season. He should already be up at at the top of the list because he's a he's a Kubiak. Well, you know, then, if you're a Shanahan or a Kubiak, good on you up there Austin, for not just putting him up there because of his name. Uh and yeah, I don't have a problem with him at number 32, but uh, I'll I'll predict at the end of the year when Kellen Moore, cross your fingers that he's not hired by somebody else to be head coach, uh, when he's back as the Eagle play caller for 2025, he will be hired the 19th. I'm going to go out on a limb and project. Taking the over. That that's like the case. It. Yes. Uh, Jenny Mack, you and I on Monday morning. I'm in. You in? Let's do it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Be back here on Monday. That would be two and two days from now on Birds 365. You've been listening to Birds 365, the destination for the passionate Eagles football fan who bleeds green. If it's Eagles football, we're talking about it. Debate inside the locker room and guests that are some of the greatest football minds from around the region. We hope you enjoyed the show. We know we had a blast. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on social media at Jacob Sports. See you next time on Birds 365.